I'm always nervous. I don't want to make a water ring on the wood. <laughs> oh, that's when wood too. Somebody just went, ah, oh. they've never seen a water ring on this. There's a lot of pulpits have them, and I know how they get them. In one historic church, I might have even caused one. I did not announce it to anyone, I just walked away. Today's my confession. Our scripture text this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. I invite you to follow along as I read from God's holy word. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout, through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The word of the Lord. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Father, I do ask that as we look to your scriptures, we will recognize that you are meeting with us here, and I pray that my words might be useful to your people, and the ones that are not useful, may they just go right on back out the back doors of this church. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I must say it is an absolute honor here to be with you. I've heard and known of you for many years, but, and I love your pastor very dearly. And I apologize that you have to listen to an American accent as you've grown so accustomed to hearing such a good and wonderful. He cheats. He cheats. I mean, he's so gifted and such a wonderful orator, but he could literally read a toothpaste bottle and we'd all sit and marvel. <laughs> so here we are today to take a look at a passage that you might know. And I, don't, I, I hear you sometimes send out the scripture text ahead of time, and some of you may have been overachievers and looked ahead at this text. And if you did, you might have said, huh, he stopped at verse 21. It seems like this uh, story goes on a little longer. And I did stop at verse 21 because I'm setting you up. It's a trap. You see, because if we take a look at this text, this is the inauguration sermon. This is the inaugural address of Jesus beginning his kingdom. He's been going around in the region of Galilee for a little while. And he's been doing some works, he's been doing some wonders, and he's been gaining a bit of a reputation, and now he comes home. Joseph's boy has returned. Mary's boy is going to be teaching at the synagogue today. There's a little bit of a, a buzz about it, and people are wondering. And so he asked for the scroll of Isaiah, and he wasn't just picking, he wasn't doing the, uh, the ninth grader reading the Bible technique where you just open it and put your finger down and think that's where the Lord's leading you. He knew where he wanted to go. He had an idea, and he went to chapter 61 of the prophet Isaiah. Not that he went to chapter 61. There were no chapters at that point. It was just a scroll, but he went to the message. The Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners, to recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and said, today it's fulfilled in your midst. And to be honest, we who have been in and around the Christian message for a while can just exalt in this message. We can take joy in this. We can say amen, 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 and again, amen. Pass the plate, let's get to lunch early. We could do that. But if you know this passage, it does continue on, and it doesn't go the way that you and I think it ought to go. Because I could really just camp out and and taking a look at what is he saying there about the idea that the good news of Jesus is good news for the poor. The good news of Jesus can set the captives free. Not only is today Father's Day, but today is Juneteenth, a new holiday. And the interesting thing about this new holiday is it's one that's been celebrated unofficially for a lot of years by a lot of communities. And it's celebrating the final good news of release of the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863, some date and somebody here knows the history really well and can tell me the date. But it took till June 19th, 1865 to get to Galveston, Texas. Do you know where Galveston, Texas is? Very far. Very far south. I think it's our southernmost tip of the country. If it's not, let's just pretend it is because it makes a better sermon illustration when I say it that way. But when the word finally got out to that furthest reach, that's when the people heard. Can you imagine that in 1863, they were set free legally, but they lived under slavery and under war for years longer. So can you imagine when the news kind of finally reached them? You're free. Interestingly enough, we'll get into this a little bit later, there's some that bristle about this holiday today. But I just want to offer, this is a moment to reflect on some human smaller scale story to look at the bigger picture about how Jesus sets us free, and that is good news. And again, we can take a look right here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's proclaiming good news to the poor. Prisoners are set free. The blind receive sight. The oppressed are no longer oppressed. And he proclaims the year of the Lord. And we all rejoice in this idea of God's blessings pouring out. And again, if we end it here, we have a wonderful Christian Sunday where we rejoice in the goodness of Jesus and we miss the text entirely. And why would I say that? Well, at verse 22, we pick up again the story. All spoke well of him, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And then Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And then you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. I assure you that there will be many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy at the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet no one, none of them was cleansed, only 
Naman, the Syrian. All the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Friends, it is my goal to help us understand what brought them to this point. It is my goal to help us understand what this passage says prophetically to us today. It is not my goal to anger you to the point where you want to throw me off of somewhere. But there's always that risk, isn't there? Less of you laughed. What would make them get so riled up, so hostile, so offended? You see, we love the idea of good news for the poor as long as the poor stay where they belong. We like them to be helped, but just don't make me pay for it. Don't make me deal with it. Don't make me include it. People love to hear about mercies for the poor. I live in a very openly liberal state. And some of those states, uh, some of those towns that are some of the most openly liberal that want to talk about the poor are the most fervent at making sure they pay other towns to take their Section 8 housing. Apparently their money isn't where their mouth is. I think that we can all rally around the idea that there needs to be prison reform and justice for prisoners. Jesus isn't talking about prison reform or justice for prisoners. He's talking about release of prisoners. These are not refugees. These are not dissidents. These are criminals. And Jesus is talking about the release, the, the mark of the spirit being upon the new age to come, the messianic kingdom and release and freedom to come is the fact that prisoners are going to get out of jail. And I've been around this country a long time. This is a no-aisle side of the thing. I have never found a candidate that, that has won an election based on, let's release some prisoners. But people from all stripes and all parties win elections on, let's put more people in jail. So now you have Jesus saying we need to bring good news to the poor, not the poor in spirit, the poor. We're now releasing prisoners from jail. And now we get to at least, well, at least we can agree on recovery of blind Recovery of sight for the blind. But let's put ourselves back in that context. I hope, and I don't think many of us think that most people who have a, a, a disability of sight, a disability of, of hearing, a disability of walking and able-bodiedness are thinking, oh, I wonder what sins they committed. We don't think that that way anymore, partly because of Jesus' teaching that there were some people that were born a certain way just for the glory of God. And we've come to learn that some people, just because they aren't quote-unquote, stereotypically normal-bodied, that doesn't make them any less of a human being. And we have come to that point, and we rejoice in that. But in this setting, to whom he was speaking, recovery of sight is a miracle, but it also is, but did they change what they did wrong? Well, what about what, about what their parents did? What about what their grandparents did? It was tied into that world. So even that is a turning of the world on its head and the social order on its head of what Jesus said to them. And then he wants to set the oppressed free. Now they are back on board. Because they are occupied by Rome. And they've been occupied by Rome for a while. 
There's generations of people who've never known any freedom. There was a little bit of a little window of time between Rome and some of their other captors in the Maccabean Revolt. But those people aren't alive at this point. And then if you go back before the little Maccabean Revolt period, they were, owned, they were owned by the Greeks, they were owned by the Babylonians, they were owned by the Persians, they were owned by the Assyrians. There are hundreds and hundreds of years of, Israel, of Judean oppression. The people of God have been singing about freedom. The people of God have been singing about God's sovereignty and his love for them. They've been singing about the promised land from the Psalms, and yet they've never tasted freedom. They've been in occupied territory forever. So now they can say, yes, set the oppressed free, but we saw something that happened. Jesus provokes them. He provokes them and said, oh, you know the prophets. They're up in the north end. They're on the north side. Elijah and Elisha were north side prophets. I don't think they were referred to it the way, but I'm just going to say it that way. They were local boys who were heroes. And Jesus provokes them by saying there were many widows who were hungry during the three and a half years of no rain, of famine, of starvation, of suffering. But God didn't send them to our widows. God sent him up into Syria, into Sidon, to a Gentile widow, to a not one of us. And then Elijah, there were a lot of lepers around, a lot of people with skin disease, a lot of people hurting, a lot of people sick. And he sent Elisha, not just to a Gentile in Syria, but one of their generals. If you go back and read in Kings, you can read about, up about Naaman, he was one of the generals, and that's who God sent the prophet to go heal. That's what made them furious. You see, Jesus, they're all right with him proclaiming that God is going to come and rescue the people. They're all right with him saying that the messianic age is about to begin. They're a little nervous when he says, it's me. They're a little nervous when he starts to saying he's on, the, on par with Elijah and Elisha, and that starts to really rile them up. But what really gets them upset is the fact that he's saying there's going to be freedom for the wrong people. The wrong people. That's the only thing I can think that would have gotten this crowd of his neighbors, people he grew up with, people who went to his little league games, people who knew the family and probably had some kind of carpentry built from Joseph's carpentry shop. Now they take him to the edge of the town to throw him off the cliff. He's proclaiming freedom, but to the wrong people. It's interesting to note that just before this, uh, Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he was tempted by the evil one to throw himself off a cliff to prove that God will care for him. And kind of in a little twist of irony, there's some other people that were about to try that test himself, and uh, the Lord seemed to make them blind, and he just passed through their midst. And a little bit later, it's another thing that's interesting. By the way, you, you're, I, my drive here was lovely. You live in a gorgeous, beautiful area. But I know between where I live, just outside the city of Trenton, to here, there's Philadelphia. And once we get to a certain place, we start to switch from being people who are city people who are, to people who live near the city. 
I'm going to assume that we are that bridge here. Are we that city to non-city people? We might even be the people that work in the city and then come back out and enjoy the flowers. I've always wanted to go to Longwood Gardens. I just, I just drove by it. I now know where it is. That's exciting. I was going to bring my family with me today, but my wife's back is out, and so I said, just stay with the kids. Otherwise, for Father's Day, we were going to go look at the flowers and all that. But it's interesting, right after this, Jesus leaves hometown, small town, and he goes to Capernaum, and he camps out there. And one of the reasons that he is, it's a little bit larger city. It's also the crossroads of all the international commerce. And see, the interesting thing about Jesus' new kingdom is that he's about to turn, uh, what somebody in Acts 14, I think, calls it, says that the, he turned the world upside down. It is a world upside down where the blind start to see, where the oppressed are, find justice, where the imprisoned are set free. And I don't think that they're just set free so that they can go on in criminal pursuits again. I don't think that's the goal and object of it. But where the poor are blessed by the Lord. One last thing he promised, he said, he proclaimed that this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a reference to the year of Jubilee. Built into the DNA, if you don't know what the year of Jubilee is, built into the DNA of the Old Testament Hebrew Israel culture were cycles. Every seven years, you're supposed to leave your, your fields laid dormant. Why? Keep them in that cycle so that they can replenish themselves and renourish. Every seven years, there's supposed to be a certain set of blessings. But every collection of seven years after that, so 47 times seven is 49. So every 50th year, there's a reset button. And he's saying this is not only the A year of Jubilee, this is the year of Jubilee. So what happened in a year, normal year of Jubilee if it was followed through? I'll just be candid. I am a, not a very good business person. I know how to take something that's worth $50 and sell it for 20 <laughs> My wife appreciates this skill very much. Imagine if I had a plot of land that was a family plot of land and I made such a business arrangement. I got us into some debt and now I had to sell off the family land. And 30 years later from now is the next year of Jubilee. Whoever buys it from me, they can own that and use that land and enjoy the fruits of that land. They can add to their wealth from that land for the next 30 years. But in the 30th year, it's supposed to hit the reset button. And that property goes back to the original family lineage. Well, that sounds like wealth redistribution, doesn't it? Jesus, not me. Well, that sounds like it's not very fair, is it? Jesus, not me. That sounds like somebody gets, well doesn't have to pay for their bad decisions. Doesn't that sound like good news to those that make bad decisions? Doesn't that sound like the gospel? Those of us who are all found guilty of sin? Those of us who've been all blind and unable to believe in the resurrected Jesus until he opened our eyes and, and, and started to call out to us and to allow us to see and hear and believe the good news of Jesus. You see, we walk this tightrope. We walk this line between grace and uh, works. We walk this line between we are saved by faith in Christ alone and then earning the right to stay in that tribe by performance. 
And sometimes if we've been around it long enough, we can start to believe that we belong because we're good. Well, at least enough, or at least better than. Better than whom? Well, we don't want to say them. Friends, I'm just going to throw out that I believe in Jesus' new kingdom, in his good news world, is that all of us are a them to Jesus. But he loved us enough to go to the cross. He loved us enough to proclaim good news and hope. He loved us enough to not set up a kingdom that only brought freedom to Judea. He didn't just institute freedom for Israel outside of Rome. He didn't just raise up a revolt and set up a new political power for Israel to just be their own autonomous people. No, he has a kingdom that is not of this world. And those of us who are following him need to follow being not of this world. So what does this mean for us today? Well, if in the very beginning, his agenda for his kingdom and his mission and his ministry and his new community, if his, if his agenda was to be, to be spirit-anointed and spirit-filled and spirit-led, and that that spirit-filled, spirit-led community will be concerned with good news to the poor, this new community will be freedom for prisoners. It will be recovery of sight for the blind. Be setting the oppressed free, and we'll be sitting, hitting a cosmic reset button. Yes, friends, I believe Jesus is calling us to live by a completely different worldview. And I just want to throw out there that if we have influences, if we have voices or spokespeople that are trying to get us to redefine our way out of obligation to the poor, to redefine what Jesus meant so that we don't actually have to bring good news to prisoners. If we find someone who's trying to say that the blind kind of deserve what they brought on themselves, or that real freedom from oppression is only spiritual but not tangible, that's only in the world to come, but not in the world today. If anybody is hedging us that way, they are not following Jesus' message. They are not living as Jesus' followers. Okay, very clear. That doesn't mean they're not Jesus' followers. They're just not doing it well at that moment, is all I'm saying. And I lead the pack as being one who doesn't do that well quite often. But when I come to this passage... If I just stop at verse 21, I say, oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't grace a beautiful picture? And I say yes and amen. But then I continue the passage and I go, why are they trying to kill him for it? And I realize he strikes nerves. It is my prayer that not I, but the Holy Spirit will strike our nerve. We live in a world that's very hurt. It's at war with each other. We live in a country that is at war within itself. We live in cultures where families are being divided against families. Sometimes we lose the, we lose the ability to hear Jesus himself. So may we all be called back. May we all be called to, and may we all be empowered by the Spirit to move forward to bring good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind, 
freedom to the oppressed, and may we long for the reset button of God's kingdom to bring those who may have made some bad decisions good grace. Because we too, but for the grace of God, go we. Technically I, but I wanted to make it include us all. But for the grace of God, go I, and may we all go in the grace. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I just look at this text and I still can't imagine what got them so mad. But obviously they did. And Lord, I pray that you might strike our nerve, that you might allow us to be drawn and reset by your kingdom values, by your kingdom uh, mission and direction. Lord, I thank you for the ministries. Lord, I pray for the ministries of this church. I pray for the Crisis Pregnancy Center, the women's ministry. I, I don't remember what it was called here in this county. I pray that they may be fruitful and effective in helping families in, this, in their times of need. Lord, I pray for those in this community who do feel the hand of oppression on them. Lord, I pray for those who feel uh, like they are prisoners within aspects of the world. And that, Lord, I pray literally for those who are in prison, that they might be restored and renewed. And Lord, whether the blindness is the blindness of our hearts or, or physical, Lord, I pray for health and the ability to see the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we might be resting in the year of the Lord's favor, resting in your Sabbath rest because you have begun your kingdom. And Lord, we are grateful to be in it. And we ask that we might be able to see with eyes that are clear and hear with ears that can hear your good news message. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.